Hello and welcome to another episode of Back to Britpop. It's me, Chris. So this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Tejinder Singh of Corner Shop. Corner Shop have been releasing records and music for many years now, obviously all through the, the 90s and 2000s as well. And then recently, this year, releasing their latest album, England is a Garden, just before lockdown. Tejinder speaks to me about the early days of the band, the writing process as always, their inspiration, uh, and just how how they wrote together, the collaborations, we talked about Brexit, all sorts of things. It was a really fascinating conversation. Join me at the end again while I'll talk about social media and all that sort of thing. But in the meantime, here's Tejinder. Welcome to the podcast, Tejinder Singh, how are you? Hi there. Um, yes, I'm very well, thank you. How's the lockdown been for you? I know we're out of it now, but what's your experience been of it so far, with, with especially with releasing the new album over quite a critical time? We were quite lucky, actually. Um, a lot of groups had to postpone their albums because of uh, isolation. Um, we got the album out just before it all happened. And so we got quite a lot of people listening to it. And we did, we did quite well, given yeah. the circumstances. And more than that, the sort of album sort of cheered people up. And it also represented the time... And so in, in that respect, we were, we were quite lucky. Do you have a tour planned as well uh, for this year to sort of coincide with the release? No, we actually, we've, we stopped touring um, quite a few years ago. So the isolation didn't uh, interrupt that either. It's quite a turbulent time for that anyway, isn't it? You know, bands in rooms with uh, their audiences just doesn't look like it's going to be happening anytime soon properly. It is a turbulent time, yes, and um, unfortunately we've got Brexit coming as well, which will make it even more turbulent. But uh, yeah, I actually think that we, we're, we're not at the end of, of the isolation. I think the government have handled it very, very badly, and um, they obviously mean for more people to die because of the way that they've gone about things, and I think that's that's what we've, we've got to look forward to. Yeah, it's a very difficult time. Um, well, anyway, let's let's try and uh, look at uh, some positive things. Obviously, music being one of them, and even in lockdown, people doing things and releasing music and finding different different and creative ways to get their music to the public. But I was really interested in in, in Corner Shop and and sort of how how you came to be really, and, and especially your influences growing up and what sort of music you were you were listening to in, in your formative years. Well, really, we came to be. We shouldn't have been. <laughs> um, Luckily, we came to be. My music to start with was just Punjabi folk music, Hindi film music, and uh, Sikh devotional music. Uh, it wasn't until later on that I sort of clocked onto Western music and then started a few years of um, record collecting and catching up. And, and I'm still catching up. <laughs> it's been very enjoyable to do that. When I was studying in Preston, I met Ben and we both liked music and collected music. And after a while we started um, banging instruments. And um, then we started recording stuff. In fact, copious amounts of stuff, really with a view to keep keeping warm rather than anything else. <laughs> and then bands that we saw, we thought, well, we're not that far away from that sort of stuff. So we persevered. and. We really only persevered because we could then meet up in 
other people's hometowns as we sort of all dispersed uh, after further education and um, then and we did a few shows uh, Nottingham a few in Preston then we had a southern show that was at Harlow and we we got signed to Ouija Records on, on the strength of that uh, of our first southern gig. How was the writing process then for a lot of your early material then with you yourself and Ben and, and your brother involved in sort of just just jamming stuff out or did you have songs fully formed? Um, well we've never jammed in our life. Um, <laughs> no I think the, the, the wonderfulness of, of the, the first writing that we ever did was that it was um, not formed at all and it was really um, it was really an energy rather than uh, it sounds horrible but it was really experimentation rather than anything uh, fully formed because we, we weren't able to be fully formed we weren't musicians as such mm. so it's more about ideas let's forget energy so in terms of uh, all the influences coming together also your background and your musical sort of style and influences there and uh, and Ben's was there any kind of common bands or uh, groups that you were kind of sort of nodding your head at really and thinking that's kind of where we want to be and kind of musical peers if you like no we couldn't again we couldn't really uh, aspire to be uh, like anything uh, actually what I was going to say was that in terms of music that we, we both liked and uh, was a subset of our Venn diagram it's, it was uh, reggae and um, that that was what we had as a common denominator. Uh, again, a very experimental sort of form and very ad hoc. Ad hoc. Um, so that's, that's why we've always loved reggae. Um, but in terms of wanting to sound like anything, we didn't have the know-withal know to, to do that. And again, I think that led us to just doing more in terms of ideas than, than anything else. And... Um, one would never really want to want to sound like anything, uh, especially anything that you liked. I'm guessing that at the time when you were sort of breaking, there was there there was a, a massive influx of groups that were kind of you know, labelled as Britpop and labelled as sort of '90s indie, and there was something very collaborative and refreshing and about about Corner Shop that I think definitely was a almost like a pla uh, a palate cleanser, uh, whether whether it was something you were after or not. But those. Those um, collaborations that you've done throughout your recording sort of career, was it something from the early days you always felt that you wanted to do is to sort of add different styles and people to the mix? You know, I don't think we ever thought about it. We, we were big record collectors of everything and anything that we came across. Uh, and that sort of reflected itself in the music, especially when technology came along because that made it a lot easier to do. I really don't think we've ever thought we must do this. Um, we've always taken every song on its own merits and it's led itself. Uh, we've just walked along with it. And that's why a lot of our songs are very different from one to another. But there's not that much thought other than when we're doing it uh, that goes into it. Again, I don't think we're, uh, we're not built like that. Some mm. groups are. And in, in, in a way, that, that might be great for some groups because... Um, you can home in on an idea and, and get what you want before you're even in the studio. Really what, what we've always done is we might have meddled prior to the 
to the studio um, nowadays because we've got our own studio, but um, generally it's, uh, it's what, what happens in the studio. Regards to like labels and things, and if you if you weren't necessarily looking to get signed, or was it something that you you just thought might go hand in hand with you know, playing live and, and sort of you know letting uh, distributing your music to to fans? Was it always something you were conscious about? You know, chasing a label deal or or you wanting to do this professionally? Not not really. No. Um, I mean, what was exciting about Ouija Records was that. Two weeks before that, we were reading about Riot Girl, and um, they were the main English proponent for that kind of music. And two months before that, we were probably reading, well, I was reading um, England's Dreaming by John Savage, and two months before that, I was probably reading, um, well, I was reading uh, Hanif Karish's um, The Budra of Suburbia. And so we got signed and we were very happy about it because we, 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 we really liked the label. And within a few weeks of that, um, John Savage and Hanif Karishi were at our gigs. John Peel was at our gigs. So it was all, once it happened, it just went so fast and every day was very different. And again, there's not that much time to think about it. It just, just happened. You know, the famous sort of meeting with David Byrne, or did you, was you aware that he was sort of in the audience and, uh, at that gig or, or did you how did that come about him sort of putting on his label well actually that was more con convoluted than David there was um, a Warner's um, A&R person that had seen us and he'd mentioned it to uh, Yale at uh, Luar Kebab uh, because he saw us as that kind of well he saw the more Asian element side of it and Luar Kebab being a uh, little more um non-american uh, ba uh based in their style um he thought that that would uh, that that we would be right for them and certainly yale and cat the label were the first people to uh hope that that we'd, we'd be on the label mm. david was actually um had to be persuaded gentle persuasion i think <laughs> from from that point on i mean well obviously before then they kind of you toured everywhere didn't you you were sort of uh, you went global uh, quite quickly. Are there any sort of festivals or uh, or gigs around the world that really stick out to you as being sort of you know head turners, where you just just look at each other on stage and think, you know, what are we doing here? <laughs> Probably not, actually. <laughs> when we when things really took off, we were on a different planet, really, um, because of the drugs and because of. Um, because of the pace of things and because of the, the travel. You know, we're not a band that, that has yearned to be on a stage. So being on a stage was something we didn't mind, but, uh, you know, some bands, going back to your first question, in isolation will be very, very frustrated because that's, that's them, that's what defines them. We've never really yearned to be on a stage. and We don't mind it and we certainly don't mind not doing it. I, I really, I don't know. I mean, there were some sort of turning points, like when we played the Brooklyn uh, Academy of Music, that was a turning point. You knew that things were rather big. Um, and also it, that was rather nice because New York had certainly taken us to their hearts and, and so had uh, lots of people in America. 
we really didn't know what we would find in America, but we were pleasantly surprised that there were a lot of great forward thinking people that, that, that talked to us and actually talked to us very openly. Um, whereas in England, we've always struggled and going back to what you said about touring and going everywhere, we actually, we were, we were pushed out of England. We couldn't get arrested in England after a while. Uh, so we had no choice if we wanted to survive to go to mainland Europe and uh, that's why we've always uh, got a love for, for the mainland Europe. What was the writing uh, process like for you on the road? If you, if, you know, obviously with, with majority of record labels and deals, they're always wanting you to produce the next album and to, to continue to, you know, to sell records. Did you find it quite difficult to, to write? in those situations or, or or did you have like plenty of stuff to sort of to use well there was a lot of ideas going about i mean, really i don't mean to be contrary but um labels never told us what to write and when to write them we told them what was going to go down and they didn't even know what the albums were until they were mastered and put put in front of them um we we we're not We've never been a group that has, we've never had an A&R person and we've never wanted, wanted one. So, you know, that we've, we've been very lucky in, in lots of respects and very unlucky in, in, in lots of others, but um, A&Rs are, are not one of them. It's, it's quite a different story for many bands, isn't it, in terms of ownership of the music and uh, not coming at it from that way. You must have felt quite liberated with other bands that were going through maybe different things at the time. Or still do as well. Well, we still had our problems in terms of the length of um, copyright and um, and ultimately being on a label. Um, but when it came to what we did as a group, then then we had complete control. But you see that that's the the paradox between being on an independent label because you want to be independent. But there's also the other side of the coin, which is you're on an independent label. If you want to make it work, you make it work yourself or you can just do one. Um, and so we wanted to make it work. So we put a hell of a lot of effort in before long. We were doing, we, no one else could do press releases. So we did our own press releases. Uh, we wrote our own videos. Um, all of a sudden we were doing the lot and, um, and that's why it's sort of taken its toll, and that's why you see me as the uh, the cowering person that uh, stands before you. Um, and that's why we're not calling anymore. It's it's kind of I guess in the early years, it's it's all you want to do, isn't it? It's it's, it's the passion and the hunger's there, but then I suppose the corporateness of it all can be can be you know very contradicting to to what you what you want to do. We never really saw any of the corporate stuff because we, we we were in our own bubble in that respect unfortunately mm. yeah they're, 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 we were on a label therefore um, we uh, were subject to some of those laws and now we're on our own label and we have been since 2000 and uh, 2000 and something so the, and, that, and that obviously just lends itself to just pure sort of creative freedom doesn't it in terms of what you can do when you can do it um i know you said you had that already anyway which you're very lucky for um but england is a is a garden is uh is your is your latest record that you, you released uh, just this year 
Um, in terms of how that differs from you know the earlier the earlier albums you've released and other 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 recordings, um, was the writing process for that slightly different? And what were you looking towards for kind of inspiration for sort of some of the content? Um, well, the writing of that was different in that normally I have a sketch of uh, ideas ready before doing songs, um, vocals or or, or um, choruses or um, other inspirations. Um, whereas this one, because I didn't have the vocals, because I, I wasn't feeling great at the time when we started, there was um, still a need to, to record if any ideas came along musically. So I look at it as before it used to be, you do the, uh, you, you, first you do the brain and then you build the body around it. and this was the other way around you you uh you built the body and had to unfortunately insert the uh brain in afterwards so the the songs and the lyrics well the lyrics came in right right at the end because it took a lot lot longer to get to them and in terms of what we wanted for the album it was we wanted an album that was um, undeniable and that sort of unwittingly it has sort of put all our other albums into sort of perspective and it shows the game plan of every individual album and even in, even in the varieties of it yeah we wanted every song to to hit home we wanted to um really do our best with it we did that before with uh, hand cream for a generation i think we we, uh, we succeeded i think um with what we had to get with this album, I think we succeeded as well. We went for a more streamlined uh, approach as well, less samples, um, more musicality, to get the, the flow going even more than what we've had in the past. And we wanted to some, get something that was undeniable. And I think that's what this album is. And in terms of what's going on in the world, there's plenty of source material, isn't there, even? to write about and to include in some of the, the subjects because there's always been uh, a, a very clear political message as well with your music which I think is really important now more than ever. Well I think so I think um, I think politically what we've done over the years actually makes even more sense now because um, one because so few people have been political we don't see political as a dirty word we see it as mm. a very natural uh, thing and a natural expression of what's going on around you who wouldn't want to uh, write about it and mm. who wants to write about boys and girls all, all, all the time um, but we do think that uh, that we we put over a politics that that uh, is is now has now come alive I mean with staging the playing of the race platform there's mention of the presidents that you are against and consequence that it may all go wrong. I don't think that's been ever more true. Mm. Um, but it, the whole album's, every album is pickled with uh, with elements like that. And um, um, we're, we're very happy to do that. What do you think the future is then of, of Corner Shop? Is it, are you, do you see this as something that this is going to continue as long as you've got um you know there's enough to write about and 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 obviously there's a, a massive fan base still and and uh you know it, will this always continue in the partnerships and the collaborations is 
in, in his homegrown sort of sense? Well, actually, with the last album, we tried not to do any collaborations because that's something that we did, and you mentioned it, uh, a lot uh, in previous albums. And we also wanted to come back on the strength of ourselves. Mm. Um, and yeah, no ping, no, to have no finger pointing at, <laughs> at us and putting us down in any way. And uh, as I say, I think uh, we achieved that. I don't, I don't know what the future is. Um, before this album, the, the future was that we might not have another album out. And I think that's, again, possibly the future now. Um, we're not, as I said, we're not a band that would, that needs to, to uh, be in a group. Um, we, we, uh, we just have to see what goes on. And I suppose what has gone on um, from what the first questions were about is we've all got, uh, most of us have got families except our percussionist. Um, and um, so that, that's been a big, big change. And so it, it, it depends. I actually think it'd be very difficult to carry on for a lot of groups uh, when Brexit comes along as well. I was very surprised that more musicians weren't m more vocal about the, the imminent uh, changes that Brexit will fetch along. Um, and really, I found that sad because, one, they weren't attentive to what, what's going to happen, but also sad because we're, we're a group that likes to sing about uh, what's going on. And uh, What are those challenges uh, to Jinder, then, if anyone who may not be aware of the issues that are facing musicians, is it with, with Brexit? What do you see the major issues for that? Well, they're talking about lorries having to have a three triplicate um, applications for moving to and to and from uh, the border, musicians will have to do the same. It will be going back to the carnet times of the late, up to the late 90s, uh, mm. sorry, late 80s. Um, it will stop musicians from America wanting to use England as their landing base to get English jobs to be their tour uh, crew and to go to Europe and travel with them. It will also stop a lot of innovation I think in touring and in terms of technology and music generally, because there'll be no need for it or there will be no push for it. Um, orchestras can disband, the government are already saying to, to, that um, artists should maybe think of get, getting uh, other jobs. And that's just through, that's through COVID, something that we hope will go away. Whereas Brexit and the ramifications of it will not just be a, uh, a few years, it will be a few decades before uh, anything is back to the semblance that, that, that we shouldn't have gone away from. When you've got the f French um, administrators of, uh, of travel saying that, uh, saying that anyone from mainland Europe shouldn't travel uh, over the new year period because of Brexit starting in earnest, um, that's pretty bad. When they're saying that, especially if you're black, mm. uh, do not travel those borders, that's more sinister. That's when it gets really quite shit. And that's when we realise that Windrush has never gone away. And that's when we realise that Brexit version one was with Enoch Powell. And as a group, politically, I would like to think that we took what Enoch Powell did in Brexit one and carried it on and through and passed 
Brexit number two that, that is about to come through. It's, it's Enoch's um, aspirations that have, that have come through with, with Brexit. There's no benefits to it. There's no benefits whatsoever unless you're the 1% that can live with uh, doing other people down. Mm. Um, it really is quite a kerfuffle. And any musician that does not go against Brexit, I just don't know what planet they're on. They're possibly the one percenters. To, to end on something lighter, <laughs> um, no. I ask uh, if we can. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I think I think corner shop is more more needed now than ever, and, and for the future, just to sort of to bring this this um, the writing and the and the songs. Uh, but, but with a, with an amazing sort of uh, kaleidoscope background uh, to it, because it's just it, the messages come across so well um, musically as well. But I was going to ask you really if there's any anything of your sort of back catalogue and any of the albums that you've you've written or songs that you've written, anything that's specifically you're most proud of. Well, I'm actually <laughs> proud of all of them. Uh, I, I see them as children, um, and I'm proud to have. Uh, got them into this world and I, I really do look at them uh, like that well there's one track um, which was actually not even titled it was called never leave yourself open and um, that was one of the first tracks I did when I moved to London and it was all done on a, a, a tape uh, a, a four track tape um, and it's just rough as fuck and um, I, I love it because it's, it's uh, well, because it was just done. There wasn't any planning to it. It was just done and the inspiration came through um, whilst it was being done. And there was also some earth hums and pedals uh, breaking up the, uh, the vocal sound as well. So I, I quite, that is quite good because it's quite unique. Um, I could never be done again. So that that's quite nice. But really, uh, all of them, <laughs> I love one of them. You know, Amazing. I mean, St. Marie Under Cannon uh, is the first track on this last album. And that goes on the, the, the length that that spans from early uh, Empire to, uh, to where we are now, I think uh, is, is quite a feat as well. Mm. But then, then there's stuff like um, Who Fingered Rock and Roll and Lessons Learned from Rocky One to Rocky Three and uh, other other songs like that, which are more uh, of the seventies rock that we like. Um, so there's, there's there's different niches of love. Uh, for, you know, there's different categories. Um, unfortunately, not not enough. Well, not not a lot of people know about us. Um, so you know we what you were saying before is uh, i well what you you were saying before was that it's more needed now uh, maybe it's not maybe it's not needed at all oh okay <laughs> but, but the point is that it's it's there it yeah. was there it always was there and it was always pointing towards what was going on in the future and it wasn't just singing about it but i you know i think in terms of what we did as a band in terms of musicality and use of technology we were doing that well before a lot of other people um we were using uh, backing singers which is now quite uh, backing singers have been used forever but which is now quite in vogue we were using french language which is 
also quite involved. We were using percussionists as well, which for indie band was was not so usual. Um, in, when we first started, or around the time of the uh, Britpop, whatever. So I think we did a lot of things that um, unwittingly have, have, have held up in terms of ideas that uh, other people are doing now. Um, and also the use of samples that we've used in the past. Um, mm. People are using that in the same manner that, that we're using it, that we used it in the past. It's not to say that we're the first, it's just to say that it was done and it was different and uh, there was a lot of different um, things going on. So going back to what, in terms of the catalogue, we, we are very proud of it. Um, we can only um, gush about it because we're very happy about it. Yeah. Uh, and we, we've all, always worked on how other people are working as well. And one of the things about not doing the last album so quickly was to see how other, what other people were doing, um, people that we'd liked in the past. And we, we were quite surprised that after so long of being on a certain course that certain bands went certain ways um, and I'm glad that we didn't go off the course that that, that we've always sort of uh, gone by ourselves. It's it's been fantastic uh, speaking to you, Jinder, about uh, Corner Shop and how you came together and on the writing process. It's been really interesting and, and hopefully long may it continue. Thanks again for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Whenever you want a, a more negative point of view, <laughs> I'm here. Thank you. Take care, mate. Big thank you again to Dejinda for joining me on the podcast. As always, it's always a pleasure to speak to these uh, amazing artists from the 90s and beyond. Music I was listening to as I was growing up in bands and writing music myself. It's really fascinating for me. And I hope it is for you too. Fit Alan Partridge there. Just a quick one. I've started a Ko-Fi page which basically allows you to buy me a coffee. It's three quid. The, the link is in the show notes. It's obviously optional. Um, it just helps me pay the server bill. As I say every week, um, it's probably quite boring if you ever stick to the end bit. Um, but yeah, go online and search for Back to Britpop on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And give us a follow and a like on there. And if you haven't written a review or given a star rating or subscribed, that also really helps. So go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and give us a five star rating if you want to, obviously. And write a little short review because... All that will do is just help me uh, get into as many ears as possible in the crowded podcast market that there is out there. Uh, the podcast is doing exceptionally well, better than I ever thought it would do, considering it was just a lockdown project of mine. Just one more thing. If you're into podcasts and movie podcasts, especially, I do another podcast called The Movie Bunker, where I review bad films with the help of film critics and journalists with my mate Matt. And that is good fun as well it's been going for two or three years now so if you like movies bad movies and you like movie podcasts with a bit of a twist uh, head or search for movie bunker podcast on whatever platform you're listening to and uh, it's there so until next week take care mm -hmm.